0: You know, it seems like every other day, there's a new and huge headline coming out of NASA. And today, the talk is all about this a new mission, their latest mission. They want to go to Venus next. And joining us uh, for more on this is our space expert, Paul Delaney. He's on the line and joins us on 640 Toronto. Paul, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon to you too, Jeff.
0: All right. Uh, what is it about uh, Venus? Uh, you know, I'm just kind of getting uh, used to the fact we're on Mars, and now here we are talking about Venus. Uh, what is the attraction about Venus?
1: Well, you're right. Mars has grabbed all the limelight. It's hogged it piteously for the last 20 years. <laughs> we haven't actually been to Venus, or NASA hasn't been to Venus for over 30 years. So it's actually long overdue to go back to planet number two. Uh, what the There are actually two missions that uh, NASA is proposing, da Vinci, and I'm not even going to try and tell you what all that stands for, and Veritas, but the two missions together are planning to basically probe the habitability of Venus back four billion years ago, and how that planet changed to being the inferno that it is today.
0: Alright, things That's have
1: really, gone...
0: <laughs> Yeah, things have gone so well with uh, Mars uh, from the outside looking in. Uh, Anyways, is that why uh, NASA, you think, has uh, decided, you know what, now's the the right time to uh, go for Venus and uh, see what we can find there?
1: There's been a lot of pressure on NASA and other space agencies for the better part of 10 years, actually, to go back to Venus. We've we've been exploring the planets of the solar system, as you know, uh, very vigorously over the last several decades. And over the last 20 years, we've found lots and lots of exoplanets, planets around other stars. You put all of that together, and we're piecing together a story about Venus as being a habitable world, very similar to the Earth back at the earliest moments of formation, and then it changed. And when we see exoplanets... In similar orbits around other stars, we begin to ask the question associated with light. You know, what are the preconditions required for a planet to be able to bear life? And we think that Venus might have had those attributes at about the same time Earth did, but then, as I said, things really changed dramatically. And we can't decide what it was that changed. You know, what are the things that led to Earth being you know, beautiful and pristine the way it is now and Venus hanging a hard right and becoming bad news. We need more data, and it, it really is there for the, the looking. You know, it, It's right next door. We just haven't been there to look hard for it, and NASA has now concluded its time.
0: Would it be fair to say, Paul, that Venus is the most similar to our planet, or is that something we're just not quite sure of yet?
1: Well, it's similar in terms of some physical characteristics. If you look at the diameter of Venus, almost identical to the Earth. The mass, almost identical. gravitational field, almost identical. And believe it or not, the carbon dioxide that is in its atmosphere, the total amount there and the total amount on Earth, when you think of how much CO2 is dissolved in our oceans, again, very, very comparable. But there is about where we stop our understanding because everything else about Venus there's still a little bit of a question mark. You can't see the surface, for example. There is this cloud cover from this really thick atmosphere that we can't penetrate. The only way you can do it is with radar. So we don't even know whether or not there's active volcanism on Venus. We don't know whether or not there's any plate tectonics. We've got theories, but we actually just don't know some of the fundamental things that we take for granted with respect to Earth and Mars.
0: Okay, do we got to go all the way from Earth, or as I mentioned, and we've been talking about, we're already on Mars, can a Perseverance just hop over to Venus for us?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> the, the, the surface conditions of Venus are like 90 times atmospheric pressure on Earth and 400 degrees Celsius. The, 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 the longest a the probe has survived on the surface of Venus is five hours. Now, when we talk about Perseverance and the other probes on Mars, we talk in terms of years and decades of transmission. Five hours is the best we've gotten from the surface of Venus. It's hard. You think Mars is hard? Venus is a whole lot harder.
0: All right. Meanwhile, also making news this week is space junk floating around out there in the atmosphere. And, Paul, we hear that the Canadian space arm uh, got damaged.
1: Yep, we got dinged uh, sometime before May 12. Uh, it's not been a big hole. It's about half a centimeter in diameter, and it has not impaired the Canada Arm 2s operational status. But uh, the astronauts on a spacewalk on May 12, routine inspection of, you know, basically their house, uh, they noticed that uh, they had been dinged. The arm had been dinged. Uh, they've gone through and done all of the, the checks and balances, and it really is cosmetic, but it does underscore the fact that, you know, the International Space Station is in a little bit of a shooting gallery. There's a lot of stuff that sort of size, half a centimetre, centimetre, floating around in low Earth orbit, and they can do serious damage fortunately this time not serious but it does underscore the importance of getting space junk under control
0: yeah do you know do we have collision on the arm uh, that sort of insurance and sort of coverage probably not just on our cars right
1: (laughs) it's probably outside of what you and i want to think about
0: (laughs) yeah but why is there space junk i mean what is it exactly and just how big of a problem or a threat is this
1: Oh, it's becoming a huge problem because, of course, we're accelerating the rate at which we are launching stuff into orbit. And despite the awareness of space junk, we still aren't really being very good custodians of the near space environment. I mean, you launch a vehicle into orbit, uh, and if you're, if you're a good customer, you bring it down safely and in a controlled fashion in the South Pacific. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you, you you are still leaving behind little bits and pieces. If you ever watch a launch, particularly SpaceX, because they're broadcasting them all the time, but they're not the only ones. Stuff flakes off the vehicle as it is ascending, and when they stage separate, and then when they fire up their second stage engine, so you see little bits and pieces of debris flying off the vehicle. It's just it's small stuff, but if it weighs tens of grams. And it's moving at seventeen thousand kilometers an hour. It really is a projectile waiting to hit something. And all space nations, unfortunately, do this. And then, of course, there are the satellites that are abandoned in orbit, the second stages that are abandoned in orbit, and, and the potential for them to collide and therefore shatter into a thousand or a million pieces. That's where the space debris problem really accelerates. The possibility of a significant size satellite colliding with another significant size satellite and creating literally a shower of debris, which now can impact operational satellites or, heaven forbid, you know, the International Space Station or one of our space tourist vehicles, which are about to populate low-Earth orbit as well.
0: Sounds like space could use a good spring cleaning uh is there the possibility we could do something like that i mean i think about when we shut down the uh, gardener uh, in, in the spring uh, for a, a cleanup in the uh, dvp is there any way to send some sort of vehicle uh, up into space to collect some of this stuff
1: there are a lot of groups working hard to deploy just those sorts of cleanups i mean the group that figures out how to clean up space debris in low Earth orbit, will have a very lucrative contract. I mean, we're we're talking about potentially billions of dollars of contract here to go and clean up low Earth orbit. Uh, There have been all sorts of techniques tried, nets, uh, literally magnets, uh, uh, satellites um, going up and grabbing a hold of other satellites and then safely deorbiting. Over the last three, four, five years, there've been a number of these initiatives tried to see whether or not they are feasible. Uh, and you're going to see that rate of, of experimentation increase over the next year or two as different groups, both the, the national space agencies as well as you know private entrepreneurial groups, try to figure out the most cost-effective way to clean up our mess. So it's coming, but it's not here yet.
0: All right, there you go. 1-800-JUNK. We have found a new market for you, an <laughs> untapped market. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs> you just point and it's gone. Oh, yeah. Like that idea. <laughs>
0: hey, Paul, thanks as always. Really appreciate it. Take care, Jeff. You as well. Our space expert, Paul Delaney, is-